0: Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and competitive dodgeball, apparently. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pi or Pi Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership.
1: And I'm Kendall Miller. And while I'm also into words, I'm mostly a gin person these days, and I blame leadership for that directly.
0: Today on the show, we have Caleb Hewitt, engineering manager at a farming technology company working in precision agriculture. And I decidedly want to know what that's about. So, What is precision agriculture?
2: (laughs) Hi. Precision agriculture is, generally speaking, a term people use for the introduction of very precise, high-tech ways of doing farming. In particular, usually it refers to using GPS to know exactly where you are in a field and steering tractors, combines, things like that for the user and doing a... uh, basically almost down to foot by foot changing how you're planting spraying harvesting whoa things like that
0: did i understand this correctly the stuff that you work on also helps control the combines the tractors like how yes. what direction they're going in whoa that is
1: super is it, yeah. is it that or is it a mobile app that's saying turn now on the like <laughs> are they are they holding it and it's saying like, stop <laughs> And then like bend down and plant or what's the... So
2: the very beginning ones about 15 years ago were, yes, like you said, the turn now, go left, go right. Now for the past decade, maybe, maybe eight years, it's been able to drive nearly any combine or tractor in the field. They usually won't turn around for you to go back the other way, but there are a few advancements in that area. But yeah, using... Some systems to help GPS called RTK and some of the others, you can get uh, basically within an inch accuracy inside a field.
0: That is cool. This is a an engineering team that works on these things. This is the team that you manage?
2: Uh yes, I manage one of the teams in, in the company that does this. Uh, probably in this particular company, um, under a hundred engineers. The the overall company's larger.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I manage right now eight anywhere from five to 10, basically.
0: Cool, and how long have you been managing these folks?
2: About four years, management.
1: <laughs> I'm curious too, like, like when you said it drives the Combines, is, is this an Internet of Things piece that attaches onto these devices and drives them? Is it built into the hardware of Combines, et cetera? If I'm a, if I'm a farmer with a 15-year-old Combine, how does, what you're building, like, I, I, I want to really sure. understand the specifics of this because this is fascinating
2: to me. It's really uh, all of what you said, depending on how recently the, uh, the equipment's been manufactured. 15 years ago, you're probably talking something that hooks onto the steering wheel itself and will turn the steering wheel for the uh, farmer. Um, more recently, wow. they use hydraulic steering and it hooks into the hydraulics and will just turn the uh, vehicle wheels without turning the steering wheel. And then even more recently, some of the uh, manufacturers have uh, basically electronic control units that you just talk to and say to turn now, and it turns itself.
0: Wow. <laughs> that is awesome. This show is ostensibly about leadership and management. We're all sure. such huge nerds. Sure. So all about it. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, so let's try and turn the ship. Let's use the uh, the GPS of our, our leadership to turn <laughs> Talk to, us, talk to us about your path to leadership. Like, how did you get to here? Is this the first gig where you've managed people, or is this new to you, or is it not?
2: This is the first time, or sorry, this is the company in which I had my first time managing people. This is the second time around managing people.
0: Ah, so you, did you do one of those things where you were like, I, you did management, and then you went back to being an individual contributor, and then back to management?
2: Yes. That's the simplest way of explaining it.
0: Oh, <laughs> you explain. Sorry.
2: Uh, and that's fine. It's not a whole lot more complicated. But yeah, I uh, went into management. The whole industry went through a downturn and we had layoffs. I went back to mostly IC with helping out with some of the non, uh, non-direct report stuff and then back again to management a f- couple years later.
0: Okay. So you must have really liked it to to want to come back to it. Not everybody finds that.
2: Yes and no. <laughs> it's frustrating at times, but it's very challenging and very interesting.
0: All right. What made you decide to get into it in the first place?
2: So that's a it's a story. At least I had been um, through a couple of other managers. Had started to get frustrated with the what I thought the direction of the engineering group, and then a new another new manager joined, and I really liked what he was doing. He was pushing for some changes to help get more management, fewer direct reports per person. At one point, my boss at the time had, I think. Well, not at this time, but at one point, he had about 25 or 30 direct reports, which
0: Holy crap!
2: As for a lot of people is very overwhelming, yes. <laughs> for
1: everyone, I'm pretty sure. Yeah,
2: <laughs> which he managed it by delegating a lot, and that was when I said we went into a downturn, and there were some layoffs, and things were uh, being reorganized. That's when that happened. The first time around, it wasn't quite that bad, but he was still trying to get more people into management, and uh, the director of engineering had me and uh, one of my peers in a room and asked what we thought about it and whether we thought more people were needed. And we said, yes, we did. And then he looked at us and said, are you willing to do it? <laughs> and I had, to, I had to think a little bit. It took two or three minutes, but eventually what I decided is that I was so opinionated on how it ought to be done. I would better do it myself instead of uh, subject someone else to having my opinions as the cranky <laughs> old guy in the room. Wait, and how, how has that benefited your career, that particular... <laughs> I'm not sure if that decision has. <laughs> it has <laughs> definitely gone in a different direction. I, I won't say it's been bad. It's been good, but it is not. Uh, I thought it would be a lot more clear cut, a lot more straightforward. Some of the things I had to do. And I really quickly learned that management does not come in and say, oh, well, this is obviously the way we should do things. <laughs> and then everyone just neatly matches along.
0: Imagine there are some challenges.
2: I'm still opinionated. I just... Uh, I recognize now some of the challenges involved in implementing some of the opinions.
1: Was this as a result of having worked with computers for a long time and then being very black and white, they follow the patterns that you lay out and then people suddenly were messier or was it more complicated than that?
2: It was something along those lines. Yes. I don't know whether it was I was naturally inclined to computers because I already thought black and white or if the computers helped train me. Uh, that and the quick feedback loops of, oh, you know, you make a typo and five minutes later, the compiler tells you, no, you messed it up. Or, yes, you're right. This is how it works now. You know, <laughs> and many people refer to that. But, you know, management, you can make a change and you may not know for a year whether or not it worked, <laughs> if you ever do.
0: Yeah, it's like the biggest jump
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could it could fail
1: and nobody tells you about it for a year, even though it's been failing. Yes.
2: Uh,
0: The power dynamic there really makes things difficult if you're trying to find out from your, you know, your employee, whether you failed or not. Yes. Uh, So uh, along those lines, what has been the hardest or most embarrassing lesson that you've had to learn? Oh, boy. To get here. Was that it? Because if that was it, you got away pretty (laughs) scot-free, I would say.
2: (laughs) Maybe that would be the hardest lesson, but let's just not say I'm sure I've learned it yet. That, That may be learning over and over again different ways to approach it. Now, I think maybe the most eye-opening thing rather than hardest was just learning the scope of how different uh, management really is from being an individual contributor, from working on computers and just saying, just do this and it does it.
0: Or it um, makes the mistake that you told it to make. Well, you know? sure.
2: <laughs> do it right or do it wrong. It, it does it when you say <laughs> And uh, learning that that's almost the opposite approach that you want to take with most, uh, most engineers. You don't want to just tell them just go do this and exactly what they should do. You want to say, here's what I want to accomplish and let them figure it out. All
0: right. So Uh, have you used any uh, particular resources or books or has any, have you, have you undertaken any training or is this just through experience?
2: A little bit of all of that. It's not been all individual. Uh, My first manager I mentioned the one who promoted. He was he was a good coach in general. Uh, not with the company now, but I still occasionally get his uh, feedback on some stuff. Uh, but mm-hmm. when he did that, he arranged for some time with another coach to come in, and that was very beneficial for uh, one and a half sessions. At which time, the company as a whole uh, enjoyed having the coach in, helping things so much that they took over the contract and had him work with the higher levels of the executives in the company to try and help them work through some stuff. Uh, So undoubtedly better for the company, but kind of cut off my uh, training a little short.
0: What's uh, the most important thing that you learned from this person, do you think?
2: Uh, The most important thing I learned would probably be to be adaptable in my approach. He's really good at for at least the early part of the coaching sessions, using the Socratic method and asking you questions to help you learn uh, for yourself and reason through for yourself how you might want to approach things. Uh, not shy, of course, about saying, hey, we need to improve this area, so let's talk about that. But then, you know, asking, well, what, are you, what were you trying to do? Did you notice this? Did you try that sort of thing? Um, before just giving you answers and saying, well, this is how, you know, most people would approach it.
0: So asking versus telling.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah really good about that. And then through that, I know some people like it, some people don't. Uh, the Myers-Briggs analysis had a full workup done on that to say, hey, you tend to do these things and you might have conflicts with those things, which none of that was a surprise to me, but it was, you know, good to see kind of written out. It's like, here are areas you may stumble and how you might want to adapt your approach to that
1: helpful to have it categorized so you sort of know what to watch out for that kind of thing or what yeah and
2: one of the examples being um it was the more detailed version i think they call it a type two myers-briggs i'm i can't remember for sure they give you eight letters no actually and so what they do is for each of the four letter types introvert extrovert i all that and i'm intj by the way Uh, there are five uh, subcategories that feed into that. And they give you a relative ranking for each of those five subcategories, how strongly you are to one end of the axes or the other. So one example that that I still recall is that for the TIF thinking versus judging, um, I came out as very much like almost 100% to the conceptual side versus uh, details. So just knowing that and, you know, I'd never put that into words before, but knowing that, yeah, I really am really attracted. I want to know the concepts before I know how things fit together inside of it. And a lot of other people, you know, they may be the other way. They want to know some of the details and I shouldn't be just pulling out my hair because they won't let me talk about the concept yet.
1: <laughs> Is there then one personality type that you know that you clash with more or you have a more difficult time, maybe either following or leading or, or it was that did that not come into?
2: That has not, I, I don't know if there's any one particular, there are some that I have more problems, maybe you'd say relating to, I have more of a struggle to put myself in their mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, But I don't know that there are any that I naturally just clash with, um, bearing in mind, one of the shortcuts for my type is like the mastermind or the strategist. So um, one way of looking at that is I'm just sitting there looking at chess pieces and figuring out how to use them. You know, I'm not clashing with anything. I'm just using chess pieces. Now I don't like to think about it that way, but uh I do have to be aware that I may come across that way at times.
0: Right. Those chess pieces are people with feelings yeah. and different motivations than yours. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think you and I have similarities. Like I have taken a bunch of these different kinds of tests. And you know, in general, you have to be they give you some useful information, but you can't follow them like a religion, you know. Mm -hmm. At my previous company did um, the Herman Brain Dominance something, HBDI. And Mm -hmm. one thing that was super interesting about that was that it allowed you to overlay the shape of your reactions under stress to over other people's reactions so that you could see how you complemented and clashed with each other and uh, how you could adapt to working better with your team. And it sounds like uh, you know, you've learned something similar from the mm-hmm. test that you took. None of these are all, are all encompassing. None of these tools are necessarily the perfect tool, but, you know, taking things away from them, there's never anything wrong with that. Like, yeah. I've encountered a lot of people who are like, oh, those things are so stupid, you know, management yeah. tools.
2: Yeah, but
0: It's great for introspection. <laughs> to yeah. learn and about I should
2: say, mind. I may be paint- painting myself in too good of light. I know there are people and personality types I've clashed with there is no doubt about that but I don't know if they fit neatly into one or two categories of Myers-Briggs for example
1: Sure. sure. Um, mm-hmm.
2: the worst and one of my so far worst failings maybe as a manager you know is just a total clash where I found out later that found out may not be the right word realized well after the fact that uh, this particular person was not only not a fit for the culture we wanted on the team but probably had, um, problems with authority in general and an instinctive, uh, instinctive kick to kick out against authority. And, uh, this particular person had been to one of my peers before I was promoted and then was reporting to me. And that was quite the change in, uh, oh, yeah. in relationship when suddenly things were being kicked back and fought against, even though I'm like, this makes perfect sense. This is exactly what you said you wanted to do <laughs> before authority. I was your manager.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. So how did you resolve that?
2: Uh, not very well, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, the, the culture, uh, in retrospect, uh, this person didn't have the right uh, personality to fit the culture where we wanted. In particular, our company was making the transition to more agile software development techniques, people over processes, things like that, which is funny for someone with an anti-authoritarian streak, but very much on the management should say, this is how we're going to do it and dictate. Everyone sets their computer up like this. And then, Has these tools installed in these locations so that way when I have to come troubleshoot something, I know exactly where everything is and and just say we don't have to support anything that doesn't meet these or just disallow them entirely.
1: My experience has definitely been the people with the biggest authority issues regularly could solve all those problems if they were the ones in charge.
2: Well, sure. Which, I mean, looking back on it, may also be why I got into management. But. <laughs> I was gonna say, you
0: think you could just do all this with, you know, if I were the king of the world?
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Totally.
1: Well, then, I mean, along those lines, uh, you know, one of the questions that we had to, to ask you, Caleb, is is along your relationship with authority. And, and you talked about what it's like having a report that has authority issues or trouble with mm-hmm. authority. And I'm curious, uh, you know, What's your relationship with authority? How do you respond under authority? What is it like having people for whom you're the authority in their lives? How do you respond to them? Well,
2: we'll start with how I respond to authority, which is usually, I think, not badly as long as there's a reason that I can at least understand. Not necessarily that I agree with, but at least I can understand, okay, there's a reason behind this. Going way back, one of my younger brothers, two years younger than me, uh, joined the... uh, Oh, boy, was it Army or Navy? I can't remember. Joined the reserves for either Army or Navy and uh, went through boot camp and was telling me about some of the experiences there. And I was just like, boy, I am so glad I never went into the Armed Forces because I would never survive boot camp because I would question everything they told me to do. Well, I probably wouldn't, but I'd resent it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you made it through, you'd stop questioning, I guess, which yeah. is kind of boring, right?
2: Yeah. yeah but I, I, I wouldn't be a good environment for me because the way they develop it is they train people to respond to orders. And in this case, that, that's useful. That's, that's good for their environment, but it's not a good environment for me. I, lo- I like to think of that, you know, like building up a trust balance in a, a bank. People use that metaphor a lot. If that balance is there, someone can withdraw on it and say, look, we don't have time, just go do this. And I'll do that once or twice. They can restore the balance if later they can give me a reason. Again, even if I don't always agree, give me a reason to show that has been considered. Uh, Hmm. The the ones I have the worst problem with are ones that appear to make random decisions with no logic behind it that I can find and are unable
1: to explain it. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting, yeah, and I mean, do you think you come across as that kind of leader like how do you do you lead differently as a result of that discussion? Yes, I take
2: effort not to. I try as much as I can to give the reasons why, even to the point of hopefully not having to give orders, but just give lots of reasons why something may be preferred. <laughs> I realize that's not always the case and I have sometimes given orders, but I've generally told my teams that they can usually distinguish that because I'll actually come in and say, this is an order you need to do. <laughs> Otherwise they're free to argue with me or ask why anything like that. And, and I definitely encourage anyone who's reporting to me to, if they don't understand why to dig into that because most engineers, um, let's not talk about how long it's been since I've been out of college, but I can't exactly remember in college if I experienced this, but most engineers have experienced the feeling where they've asked to do something and don't know why. And then once they found out why they realize there's, you know, a much better way to have done it than what they were told to do. Yeah. So I I'm really big on getting, getting the people reporting to me asking why and trying to figure out why that request is being made and if they can come up with a better way of doing it great
1: yeah while well, we're talking about your relationship to authority and the way that you lead and uh, oh, authority no. as as a leader i'm curious you know what was what was your relationship to authority as a kid and has it changed as a result of being in a position
2: <laughs> um that's a good question and generally it Again, this we talked earlier about all these analysis things are just trends and even stereotypes are like that a little bit. But there's the stereotype of the oldest child is the obedient one. And I met that stereotype. Uh, The oldest in the family, I generally obeyed authority figures. I didn't cause problems, all this stuff. But I will say in hindsight that a few times I found out authority figures, teachers and whatnot, um, had made decisions that to me made no sense for their position, or even I thought were detrimental to their position. And I would just instantly lose all respect for them. I might obey them because that was the system I was in, but no more respect.
1: (laughs) So then today, if somebody comes to you and says, Caleb, you're making the wrong decision. This isn't a decision you should be making as a leader. Are you quicker to hear that as a result of your childhood frustration with that or do you feel like because i I mean the reason i ask is i feel like you know i'm very clear on the things and leaders that drive me crazy and and often i'm very good at avoiding exactly those things (laughs) and all of my problems are other problems that i would never you know like 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 my reports relations with me are always completely different but i can avoid the things that drive me (laughs) leaders
2: i can just imagine uh, a couple of my reports sitting in a bar somewhere or uh, going out for coffee and saying, why won't he just tell me what to do about this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. But I, love uh,
2: it. I, I think it definitely has, um, I'd like to think I've modified my approach somewhat in that I don't lose all authority for pe- or all respect for people in authority when they make a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, let's again, not talk about the number of decades it's taken to beat this into me, but. Uh, realize that there are other circumstances sometimes that lead to situations like that, and you'll see discussions about that all the time in leadership about the context around a decision or the systems in place that lead people to make one decision over another and so I mean I've kind of come to recognize those, but it's still still a little rough, but yes, I'd like to think that I'm a lot faster to answer those things, but I'm sure there's I'm sure there's plenty of other failings i'm Capable of and <laughs> currently doing that, uh, and I'm still exposed to. I feel like I talked around that answer. I feel like I'm being a politician here. Did, did that answer things appropriately? Or,
0: well, it's difficult to, to know when you aren't seeing something, right? Yeah, so that makes sense to me, which, which, you think which brings us
1: to our next question, which is tell us all of your faults in order. From
0: <laughs> that's right, that's what this podcast is about. Okay,
2: uh, number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to quote Warren Buffett, I delegate to the point of abstentation.
0: <laughs> no, I totally approve. I totally approve. Uh, that's hilarious. And actually, like, I, I really ahead.
2: do though. You mentioned that I, I feel bad sometimes. I'm sitting there, I I'm, I'm working on stuff. I, I will occasionally I know there's other debates about you know diving into the code or not, but I, I'm one of the people at our company with some of the most experience in certain parts of our uh code base. I'll still get in there make minor tweaks and minor improvements, but because uh, because of my position, because I may have to drop something for, you know, maybe weeks at a time to do other projects. It can never be something that's, you know, on a critical path. Uh, just little mm-hmm. tech tech debt improvements, things like that. Every once in a while, I'm sitting there, I'm wondering because I'm sitting there uh, telling my employees to find what's most important for the business and work on it. And in the meantime, I'm twiddling my phone. Fu- thumbs and just finding something fun to just poke at for a couple hours here and there you know I, it kind of feels uh, hypocritical but i i realize that that's because you know that's not the focus of my job but it's, it's still a little rough sometimes to be like everyone on this team go out and work on this it's really important i know it's boring but it, it, it needs to be done it'll make your company a lot of money and in the meantime i'm just gonna go refactor this class because that looks like fun
0: <laughs> well, do you actually tell them that second part
2: no <laughs> no but they
0: know right <laughs> and, and honestly,
2: uh, I, I say that because that, that's the little uh, version of Clippy in my head, kind of mocking me with uh, every once in a while because I know that the stuff I'm doing is really not that fun. And uh, one of the reasons I know this is because the, um, the overall software group uh, a year or so ago uh, had a meeting together, and that, this was one of the areas of the code they nominated as one of the worst to work in, <laughs> and one of the ones they most wish had all this, all these tests around it so they could know that it's, it's safer to work in it. And so I've been spending, you know, not the whole time, but on and off for a year doing this. So it's not exactly the fun part of the code to work in. And it's not been a quick thing either. <laughs>
1: But in this this situation, diving into the, and I'm sorry, Rachel. uh, No,
0: no, no. I've been doing this to you the whole time. (laughs) Go right ahead.
1: You've been, in this situation specifically, you're diving into the code, kind of getting in the trenches with your people. And this is one of the most significant leadership things that you could be doing right now is kind of, yes, and maybe it's not laboring alongside of them, but it's getting down into Rich is getting hands-on in a way that that significantly helps them and builds rapport. Is, is that right?
2: I certainly hope it helps them and builds rapport. And based on my experience in the code base, I have a fair amount of trust that, yes, it will be beneficial. Um, but realistically, another way of looking at it, it is it is something I'm doing when I'm not doing my the job I'm being paid for. Yeah. So it needs to be something that can, like I said, just be dropped for you know i think there was probably 3 months at one point that i hardly did anything on it i just other things were more important so i sometimes need to question myself am i really doing the thing that's important or am i am i defaulting to just working on this cuz it's there
1: well so so that makes me want to ask and we've been asking mostly hypothetical and very high level sort of generic questions about how you think sure. and act leadership but i'm i'm curious to bring it down to today and right now like or maybe this week or this month but what's the what's the thing that's been occupying your mind what's the leadership problem that you have right now uh that you know and and maybe you can't get into specific details about it but as much as you're willing mm-hmm. or or interested in sharing like what's oh boy. the thing that you're really chewing on uh right now as as a leader
2: so there's there's a couple shorter term well, maybe we'll say more immediately pressing, and uh, one one longer term. More immediately pressing, uh, had the fun experience everyone uh, who's been managing for a little while has had. A week ago, this Monday, one of my uh, reports shows up at my desk holding a piece of paper and says, "Hey, can we grab a conference room for a few minutes?" And yeah, I was, well, it's, it's a, not a great time to have you leave, but you know, you want to give me some details about it and uh, working through that. So, uh, so the very short term is. Of course, helping the team through the transition of losing a member, um, uh, updating our, uh, our job requirements for that, getting jobs posted out, contacting recruiters, uh, maybe start looking myself through my network, things like that to try and uh, start lining up the pipeline for earlier I'd mentioned a downturn in the uh, ag economy, which is it is coming back, but not to the point where we are um, hiring all the time yet. Right now, it's hiring more for replacements, and occasionally as the uh, company needs to expand.
1: So this is like bad form, but back to the we're just nerds and we want to understand because we're curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is there some specific industry? Is is the the price of corn what drives you know hiring for you? Is it is it the price of soy? Is it just? agriculture in general is 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 a massive trade war potentially happening with china going to affect your day-to-day business
2: (laughs) Uh, yes to all the above actually um in this particular case uh for this company i work for this is not true for all precision ag but uh for the one i work for it's highly dependent upon uh midwest farmers which is primarily corn soybeans wheat and a few other crops maybe a little bit of cotton but that's not been much of a factor the past few years so as far as I've been able to tell, given my extensive experience, it was just like a decade. So most farmers would laugh at me. Uh, but the corn and soybean prices tend to kind of go together. They go up more or less together. They go down more or less together because they're both the same area of the country, more or less, and highly dependent on the weather conditions on to how good the crop's going to be. So yes, the, the better those prices go, the better for our company up to a point. The particular company I work for sells a lot of aftermarket equipment, not the actual combines and tractors, but stuff that goes on them. Um, So there's a middle ground where if prices go down a little bit, that's still okay for our company because farmers stop buying the really expensive stuff and just buy our stuff to enhance it. Uh, Okay. Generally speaking, I mean, that's that's really high-level glossing over a lot of market dynamics, but but then there's
0: aftermarket upgrades. Yeah.
2: But then there's a point where it gets really bad and there, you know, farmers or, or whoever is just worried about making the rent payments, they're not enhancing anything. Mm-hmm. So so there's a little bit of in between. But yes, it's highly tied to that. I don't know what a uh, you know, tariffs or trade wars or anything would do to our company in particular, but I don't imagine it'd be very good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. And then um, you were maybe going to mention a broader leadership issue or something that you were going to talk about? So this
2: is a longer term one. I have uh, two people that would not just be my peers, but actually occupy more or less the same position I do overseeing software development teams. And I started a while ago, many months ago, um, trying to put down a... I call it a skills matrix, but uh, kind of a leveling system. The skills where we think are most important for developers at our company. And then, um, you know, how we kind of evaluate, you know, novice or intermediate or expert at, at those skills. And uh, that's been an interesting endeavor because I've been trying to coordinate it with, again, both of my peers who are also both very busy. So we've been making mm-hmm. progress, uh, you know, an hour and a half at a time every couple or three weeks. <laughs> So it's not been proceeding very quickly, but it's, it's moving. And uh, I really think I, that's going to help. I think it'll help at least me, but I think it'll help people reporting to uh, all of us because I at least get questions you know, every month or so about, hey, you know, if I want to be better at something, whatever it is, but if I want to be a better developer, if I want to blow, you know, blow your socks off the next performance review, what do I need to do? And I'd love to be able to say, well, you know, I can tell you some things, but here's how we're thinking about it. And if you could figure out how you fit in that and really improve something, that's the best way to go about it.
0: I mean, I remember doing this at my previous company. I was there for nine years, Mm -hmm. so it grew a lot while I was there. And we, we had to build out these big spreadsheets of here's level one, here's level two, here's level three, and yeah. what specific skills and what general skills. It's like that. Uh, and so similar.
2: Um, I want to be clear. We're not using that for any pay grade leveling or anything like that. Oh, okay. But more of a progression of, you know, technical expertise, which is kind of a catch all term, but one of the categories we're trying to find a better name for, you know, is like, Uh when when someone's hired, we expect them to be able to use an IDE, we expect them to be able to use a text editor, we expect them to be able to use the language, whichever language we're hiring them for, uh, either Uh use it or be able to learn it fairly soon, you know. And then all the way up to, you know, like designing major features or major library systems that the rest of the company uses and things like that.
0: So this is entirely technical ability. It's not like also is able to um, spec out something or...
2: One of the skills is technical ability in architecture, but that also includes things like communication, productivity, things like that.
0: That sounds cool. It sounds Um, useful. I mean, you, you may eventually turn that into your like or merge it with your existing leveling promotion <laughs> Uh
2: My company basically uh, does not have tiers of individual contributors. Oh, Everyone's no. just basically a software engineer or a mechanical engineer, um, electrical engineer, or, or uh, manager. Um, I guess it tiers a little bit more than that because they're also the heads of the different areas. That, that's about it.
0: Right. So there's just like individual contributor level Manager level and then exec is that basically it
2: pretty much, yeah, all right,
0: do you think that's common in your industry because that's totally not necessarily common in the companies that i've worked at yeah for.
2: I don't think so, but really i'm not sure the only other experience I have in the agriculture industry in particular was a very small company that did you know had fifteen people they really didn't have much yeah. in the way of titles <laughs> didn't have any of that. So, <laughs> okay, I was just curious I, I have not worked at some of the bigger companies, but I'm pretty sure they do have uh further leveling. And I mean, in some ways I do worry about that because some of my uh people reporting to me have asked and I've tried to be clear that you don't need to become a manager to advance here. You know, mm-hmm. but it's hard sometimes when there aren't titles. Even with managers though, there aren't titles. There's kind of oh
0: that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I could see that being There's kind of you. role
2: role titles, but you know, uh my title's kind of generic is, is oh, crap, what is, is dev lead, development lead? It basically means okay. uh, that the company manages between three and ten engineers on one or two teams.
0: Yeah, that sounds like they don't give you a lot of, like I don't know, structure to to help people yeah. move up. So I can understand why you made this matrix yes. or your work matrix. That totally makes sense.
2: I, I will say, yes, That that is a keen observation. And. I mean, due to the history of the company, it's, it's old now, especially for precision farming, because it's about as old as the industry itself, but it's uh 25 years started, you know, from one person in their garage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it still retains a lot of these small company, almost sometimes to their detriment, not recognizing that there's been a transition phase and it's not just 25 people and everyone knows what everyone's doing now. You know, there are now hundreds of people who have to coordinate.
0: Yeah. So let's move uh, to something a little different. Sure. And then we'll probably wrap up shortly after that. How has becoming a leader affected your personal life? Like oh
2: boy. Would you, would you
0: say it's positive and negative? Can you talk about that?
2: I'd like to think positive. I will say I've become more um more willing to step in. Well, first of all, more able to recognize when uh things I'm involved with socially are lacking leadership.
1: Hmm.
2: From where do we go to lunch with a group of friends up to uh you know, a social club saying we should organize something and no one's speaking up on who's going to do it. Everyone talking about what they'd like to see and you get to the end. And I'm like, hey, we still don't have anyone who's going to do it.
1: So wait, so in those situations, do you jump in and decide for everyone or do you come up with a process whereby other people are going to decide what, when, when you see the lack of leadership, what's your solution?
2: It really depends. Um, usually I will try to point out the lack and ask what people think, depending on the group and how important uh, accomplishing whatever it is to me. Sometimes I will say, we need to decide who's going to manage this and how they're going to do it. And if no one speaks up, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then sometimes I just say, hey, look, we need to decide who's going to do this, but I don't have time. So y'all need to figure it out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You just want to fill the vacuum, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand that feeling. Like, well, this has got to get done. And uh um, I guess I'll ask who's going to do yeah. it.
2: <laughs> so I like to think that it's made me more decisive in some ways, uh, which is, again, slightly ironic because I go back to, or maybe it's not, maybe it's a total uh, rebound from doing less deciding at work. So now I take more opportunities to decide elsewhere, but I am a little yeah. more likely to just say, well, no one has an opinion. So this is what we're going to do. Or just, I don't have an opinion. You decide and not even... Uh, not even get involved. Totally. Uh, is that a cheer you were giving or uh shake your fist yeah, at you? Like, okay. Take charge. <laughs> I <laughs> see.
1: Take charge. <laughs> Shaking her fist at you. How, how dare you? Yeah. Well,
2: you know, there are some of those reactions. And, and we talked about the types of people before. There are some people who, who really like to slowly come to a consensus and query everyone multiple times. And that's how they deal with things. And I imagine they may not like. When I barge in and say, look, we need a decision in the next three minutes because I'm gone.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But you at least know those people exist now, necessarily not have really thought about it in the past. (laughs) So management skills come to light. Totally. All right. uh, Kendall, do you have a wrap up question? Do you have anything else? you? Well, yeah.
1: I mean, I I did want to ask one more before we let you go and then then we will wrap up. Uh, I'm enjoying talking with you, Caleb. So I appreciate the time. Yeah. Sure. I'm curious about, you know, talk to us a little bit about your personal life, hobbies outside of work, you know, and and maybe that's a lot of lines of uh, money, you know, tomorrow millions of dollars land on your doorstep and you no longer need to work. What's the thing that Caleb goes and does with the rest of his life? And do you stay as an engineering manager because solving engineering problems are really your heart's passion or do you hop on a bike and ride off into the nether and never come back?
2: Oh man, Uh, somewhere, somewhere in between. I don't know. I would probably stay where I'm at for at least a little bit while i may, you know, get my head clear and make some decisions. Uh, But if it was millions of dollars and I could do whatever I want, I'd be really inclined to start trying to start my own company to do either a uh, social aspect or find a part of the industry that I think computers could really help at that haven't, hasn't been done yet, which granted they're everywhere now. So that'll be hard, but
1: social aspect being social good or social network,
2: social good, social good. Um, yes. Uh, and I'm not sure which, but you know, I, I admire some of the people who make millions and then turn to spending them for the social good. Uh, so if I had millions, I'd like to think I'd emulate that. (laughs) Um, (laughs)
0: make the world better yeah we can
2: all we can do is hope for what we would be with if if, uh
0: (laughs) caleb for president if if we're
2: no 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 (laughs) no i may be decisive but i'm not that decisive
0: (laughs) all right well uh, yeah
1: in the in the interest of time uh i mean is there anything that we didn't ask caleb that we should have asked before we let you go
0: and also does Caleb have any questions for us oh
2: there you go. oh man like every single one turned around back <laughs> I assume <laughs> we'll get some of that eventually in some of the other podcasts
0: yeah, hopefully but
2: yeah I guess you made reference to this being one of the early ones before so and I don't think I've seen this is uh how either of you got into management and, and or leadership depending on how you want to interpret that
0: well, uh, I was already on this podcast when Sean was hosting oh, that's it. Right, so you that's listen right. To my I can go back to that one. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that I actually um, did talk about how I got into leadership, but talked about a lot of other things. My interests are around like trust and interacting mm-hmm. with your customers and so forth, representing your company to the outside world. Uh, but now I've basically just been either a tech writer or a manager of tech writers for a long time. <laughs> back and forth. I like to go back and forth. Yep. Kendall?
1: Gosh, my my story's going to be too long. I can't even I'm sitting here trying to think of a condensed version.
0: Uh, Come on, pithy witticisms. That's what I pay you for,
1: Kendall. Uh, <laughs> say,
0: I do not pay Kendall anyway. I,
1: I showed up to a uh, event in high school, made a fool out of myself and found people would follow me and it scared the hell out of me and uh, I've stuck with it ever since.
0: Yeah, you seem terrified. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, well Caleb, okay. thanks for being with us and uh Perfect. i would love to ask you a million questions for an hour more but for you know the sake of this not going into perpetuity we appreciate yeah. you being. You
2: know, well you'll need to save some for your future guests so for future
1: guests indeed so
0: future guests no you're it oh, that's it we're having you every month we, no. ah,
2: wait. <laughs> we could probably arrange <laughs> something but uh, <laughs>